coming up on the Louis Diaz podcast. And there was this thing called punch gava, which they were like, drink this, drink this. I'm like, okay, sure. And then after I drank it, I was like, so what is it? And it's five parts of cow. It was milk, ghee, curd, urine, and cow dung. Hello, and welcome to the Louis Diaz podcast. Every day, I come across some of the most incredibly fascinating and authentic people from all walks of life. And together, we're inviting you in to be our special guest as we take you through some of their amazing experiences, adventures, and journeys. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Louis Diaz Podcast. So, let's get this started. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, um, we're recording. Oh, okay. And I just want to welcome everyone to another episode of the Louis Diaz Podcast. Today, I'm really pleased to be introducing you all to a very good friend of mine, Gabby Lamb. Gabby and I have been friends for a few years, but it wasn't till the other day when I sort of asked Gabby if she would be interested in being part of this podcast that I felt like I got to know her better than ever, um, which is a bit weird. Like, you know, you can know someone or think you know someone, but then it's not until you sort of want to sit down and record like a really great, important piece of their life story that you actually feel like, oh my God. I didn't know this person at all. <laughs> and I kind of felt a bit guilty almost that I hadn't invested the time and energy to get to know you better before. So I think we just met each other in another moment in our lives and we didn't, yeah, talk about our histories, I guess. Your one-liner was really inspiring. You wrote, Today we're leaving the safe, leafy suburbs of Alstonwick off to the remote, arid Indian desert. To the land of kings, traditional healers, endless chai, superstition, and contradiction. And that's what India is. India is a country of contradictions. There's like such richness in India and there's such wealth in India. And then you've got the other side, which is just like complete poverty. And then you've got such superstition and religions that are just out there, like... India's just one of those places. It's just like a, a pressure cooker of experiences. And like, so where I was in, in Rajasthan, which is northern India, so that's the desert, um, Rajasthan literally translates into the land of kings. So you've got this desert, but then you've got these palaces and massive houses and wealth in the m- middle of this desert. And it's really beautiful. Yeah, so that's, that's what led me to write that. Yeah, I mean, it sounded like an amazing experience. And before we came to record this as well, before sitting down here, I also got to check out your blog, which was an amazing experience just to sit there and read through that as well, because you are really articulate. You were able to sort of sit down and write your feelings and thoughts and emotions. And it seems really raw, like a really raw experience, your journey. Yeah. And I think that keeping that blog while I was away was part of me digesting things that I'd seen and that I was doing at that point. So it it was almost cathartic for me to write about my experiences. Mm. You're certainly going to take us on an amazing journey today. I've got no doubt about that. Uh, but where did we begin? What, okay. year, what year was it? What month so, was it? Right. Um, so I guess just before I get into it, I have to say that I'm very much a believer in everything in our life happening for a reason and leading us to the next point in our life, which is where I was when I went to India. So um, like going back years before and actually where I met Vicky was we were studying international development. But I also had this yearning to help people, which is what led me to become um, a trained qualified myotherapist. 
So this was a little bit down the line. So when I went to India, I was nearing the end of my myotherapy qualification. Uh, I don't know if you believe or know much about astrology, but I was right in the middle of my Saturn return, which is that period when you're sort of questioning everything that you've done in your life and where are you going in your life. And that's when I was getting to the end of my degree and wondering what the hell was I doing with my life. I knew that I wanted to go back and do some more development stuff. So I kind of put it out into the universe. I was also at the point when all my friends were settling down and having babies and getting married. And and I was trying to make that decision of what I wanted to do and if that was what I wanted to do with my life or if that, you know, I wanted to take another pathway. And so I kind of, as I said, I put it into the universe. I... Um, wanted a way that I could somehow combine development and myotherapy. So I did did some Reiki and I'm a big believer in Reiki because I was doing that on one night. So it was a Thursday night in December, I think. And on the Friday morning, I opened up my email and there was an email in there looking for a myotherapist in India. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> So, of course, I replied to this email, head back from the lady. She's like, how about you come down next week? She lived in Geelong. I was going to be in Torquay anyway. So I was like, that is amazing. So perfect. Um, went, met her. So they were looking for a, somebody to lead a project training community health workers in myotherapy techniques. And then in February, I was in India. <laughs> just like that. Yeah, just like that. <laughs> Um, so it was kind of like a series of events that led to where I found myself in India. Dad's like, who are these people that you're coming to India with? What are you doing? <laughs> um, how do you know like where you're going? But I just trusted the process and I had faith that it would be fine. And yeah, next thing I was on a plane and I landed in so Udaipur in Rajasthan. So it's the city of lakes. It's a very beautiful, romantic slice of Rajasthan. So I landed at this tiny little airport and my future colleagues were all waiting for me. Um, they had these garlands that they greeted me with. Um, they ran up, gave me a hug and were like, Dr. Gabby, Dr. Gabby. Oh, because <laughs> they called me Dr. Gabby over there, which was <laughs> very confronting. <laughs> Because um, you hadn't been called Dr. Gabby. No, I was, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but in India, I was Dr. Gabby. <laughs> um, any, anyone in a health profession is called a doctor. And then, yeah, we were driving in the back of this Jeep. And obviously, it's India. So you've got cars everywhere, cows everywhere on the road. You're dodging everything on, on the highway. Um, yeah, and then that was my life. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like just everything kind of clicked. For those of us out there that believe in astrology, your Saturn return happening, the email, things were just clicking. Yeah. Did it feel like it was effortless? Yeah, as I said, I put it out in the universe and it just happened. And it was like, yeah, of course this is happening. Like, what did you put out in the universe? That, I, that I wanted clarity of how, to, how I could be a myotherapist in an international development context. Gee, that's pretty specific. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to combine the two things that I loved. Yeah. Um, I have to say that I it was a three-year contract that I signed straight away. 
So I was kind of like on the way to the airport. I was sort of freaking out like, is this what I'm doing with like, is this this is the decision I've made? I'm almost 30. I, you know, I'm at that point where I probably should be having kids and I'm, I've signed this three-year contract to move overseas and go to a country where I'll be, you know, in the middle of the desert. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we've also got a jackhammer situation <laughs> happening. <laughs> I guess one of the main themes that is explored in this podcast is one of feeling societal pressures. And for you, it sounds like that societal pressure was settling down, starting a family, having children. Definitely. But you, I mean, knowing you the way I do, that doesn't seem like you at all. Exactly. I mean, the pressure's always there. Like, even now, I'm almost 36, single, don't want kids, but that's taboo almost. Like, it's just expected that women at my age will have kids. Like, that's the natural order of things. But it's definitely not what I want or what I value. Like, I have nieces and nephews and I love them, but that's not what I was about in in that point in my life so this was like the greatest adventure I could have instead (laughs) yeah and and it sounds like it's really kicked off in a very eye-opening way and I don't mean to sort of be chopping and changing and sort of jumping around as much as I am because I think there's just so many things I want to discuss and it's just it all sort of ties together but there seemed to be a running theme if I could sort of put it in one word it was about value yeah I think the word value came up four times and it's Yeah, that really stood out to me. Yeah. And I think in order to live authentically, you need to be aligned with your values. And so what is that value? And like for me, going to India and doing this was about helping people and that value of of doing the best that I could for humanity in my own capacity. I'm not saying that it's a massive thing. I'm not going to save the world or anything, but what skills I had that could add value in the world. Mm. And I think that's really important, especially with travel. Like you have to think about why you're traveling and what you're doing there. And if people are going over to volunteer, what does that actually mean? Are they adding value to anyone's life or is it just for themselves and their own experience? Like for instance, so the organization I was working with, we hosted students um, from Australia and America and, and other countries that were either working in health camps or doing various other development projects. And there was one group where I don't know what preconceptions they had about what they were coming to, but they weren't, you know, the people that they had in mind that they would be treating. So they, yes, they're going there for the the right reasons, but then also bringing with them so many stereotypes and preconceived ideas about Mm. what to expect. Mm. And I think... When you're traveling, you need to just let that go because you never know what to expect. Like you can prepare yourself as much as you can, but you don't know what's going to happen. And it's best to allow those experiences to happen and and to learn from things in the world and learn from the people that you meet and try not to buy into those stereotypes. Mm. I mean, my biggest advice I could give to anyone embarking on a journey like that, and I think what made it effortless for myself in fitting in is that ability to let go and just go with the flow and try not to be led by your own ideas. Mm. And I mean, obviously there were days in India, especially like they, they talk, we used to call it an emotional roller coaster because you would love it in the morning and then hate it in the evening or, or even quicker than that. Like minutes go by, you can love things and hate things at the same time. Mm. 
I guess you just had to let go and just allow experiences to happen to you. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a path of least resistance kind of approach. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and it was incredibly, like, I was very blessed. Like, it was easy for me to adjust. Mm. Yeah. Take us back to, you're in Rajasthan, you've met your colleagues, they're calling you Dr. Gabby. <laughs> what do you do now? Like, <laughs> yeah. So the first, like, within the first, I think it was the first day that I got there, or not even, maybe the first week they had this big celebration because, you know, I was the new doctor in town. And I found myself treating people in the middle of this big festival thing in the dark because there was no electricity. We just had like torches um, and I was like sticking needles in people in the middle of in the dark. And I was like, wow, I couldn't be preoccupied. Well, where am I going to put the needles? You know, I can't sterilize this properly. I don't have all my tools in my kit and things like this. I just had to do it. I had no other option just to like do whatever I could. And that was a lot of my time in the field. And then the training side of things was often really long hours. I was working six days a week and living where I was working. So, you know, there was kind of no rest at all because, you know, people would knock on my door at 8pm and be like, Dr. Gabby, Dr. Gabby, there's somebody here to see you. <laughs> and I worked very closely with an Ayurveda doctor whose name was Dr. R.I.K., who we always called the crazy doctor because he was hilarious. But he would get you into all these like situations that like he would just drive off and, you know, veer the vehicle so that you could stop off and see something on the side of the road. But his patients always trusted him, even though he would be putting them through pain or uh, like often another tangent. Mm. And like also another thing that he would always do is when we were going for a walk, he would bend over and pick up, you know, leaves and pick things from trees and be like, taste this. This is good for diarrhea. This is good for cancer. <laughs> like all these mm. things that he would just get me to eat plants. Mm. <laughs> and of course you just do it. <laughs> Sounds like a great experience. Yeah. There was another another festival that celebrates the cow because the cows are sacred. And there was this thing called punch gava, which they were like, drink this, drink this. I'm like, okay, sure. And then after I drank it, I was like, so what is it? And it's five parts of cow. It was milk, ghee, curd, urine, <laughs> and cow dung. <laughs> Sounds yum. Have you got any? No, <laughs> I do not have any. <laughs> so it's something I would eat every day. Yeah. So how far into your trip experience journey are we by the time you've done some of these things and met the crazy doctor and had the... Um, so... It was straight away. I basically just landed and went straight into it. Mm. So for, for that whole time, it was just intense work. So it, I was very burnt out by the end of it. You were just a graduate, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's the other questions that are going through my mind are like, how can I teach people? I've only just finished studying myself. You know, I was seeing cases that there's no way I would see any of this in Melbourne. People that hadn't been to any doctors because they hadn't couldn't reach them, that couldn't straighten their legs. You know, I saw one woman that was missing half of her nose and they're like oh it's from sinusitis i'm like how does it get to a point where you've got you know you're missing half your nose from it from an infection mm. and they're asking me for advice i, I studied muscles <laughs> like i didn't know any of this stuff so it was very confronting i was emailing my teachers and asking them for advice for a lot of the cases that i saw and i think when i decided to come home i felt like i had experienced my entire myotherapy career and I was looking for a change. I didn't want to be treating people anymore because I also didn't want to come back to Melbourne and, and be treating office workers that have a sore neck after I'd been 
you know, helping people and needling people that couldn't walk. And then this is where, I guess, when we talk about being aligned with your values, I knew that I would be unhappy doing that. Like, I've never been driven by money. That's not what it is. And so the idea of doing that just because I could earn money wasn't appealing at all. So then I came home and started a business instead. And now I'm working in philanthropy, which is, again, adding value to people's lives by working with charities and and getting money from people that have money to give, to give to good causes. And as I said, that's really important is that being aligned with your values and doing what makes, you know, you can tell when it doesn't because you're unhappy. You know, you might have health issues. You, you might go to work and resent your job. Like, why do that? You're, you're at work for like 48 hours, whatever, 36 hours a week, hating it. Like, what's that going to do to your life? <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. And I guess it's one of the things that we spoke about a bit earlier about society's expectations mm. is, is that we're almost groomed. We are groomed from when we get to preschool to go and work in the industrial yeah. world. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that can totally resonate with you and and where you're coming from. I mean, you mentioned that you were in India for about two years in the end. Was there any other experiences that you can sort of reflect on that sort of changed what you thought about India or about yourself? I mean, you did actually mention that you were at a murder trial, which was... Yes. When we talk about India as a country of contradictions and a country of just like extreme experiences, like everything in life is so visceral in India. Like life and death is so close together and it's very obvious there that in a way that it's sterilised in in Australia or Melbourne. Like you don't see, have experiences like that. Um, Again, with Dr. RK, I was in, we were just in the Jeep one day in the field and he had been talking to somebody about this murder trial that was going on and was like, oh, you have to come, you have to come to this. I was like, I I don't know if I really want to say. They're like, no, no, it's the community trialling him. So we went to this, village and there were two brothers that were um, accused of murder and the community elders were all sitting around giving them a trial but in the trial they were like their punishment or part of their punishment was to stand in the sun holding two rocks in each hand like it was like torture but it gave the community the right to talk about their judgment and whether or not they turned them into the police and gave them all the opportunity to talk about what had just gone on Mm. it was fascinating it's, yeah, it's interesting also to put it in that context. I mean, that you were right there in the thick of it and that was your life now, but you were still kind of, you had this buffer between yeah. you and, and them. Yeah, I could blend in in a way that maybe some other foreigners couldn't. And I always wore in, like the traditional Indian dress when I was there and I could have passed as Northern Indian, people would tell me. So because of that, they respected me and I got to see a lot more that way because people would take me along to things like murder trials. Mm. <laughs> but and, and also, I think um, the other thing I wanted to say about being in a country where you don't really know what's going on, you don't know the language that well, is that you can kind of go there and disappear, mm. which I wasn't running away from anything, but you can wander through the world and tune in and out of things. And I really loved that. I loved being able to walk down the street that was like super busy and just kind of blending in and not, and being alone in this the busyness of it all Mm. 
Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. I mean, one of the things that I say about running away from things is when you're running away from something, you're running towards something at the same time. I mean, for me, it doesn't sound like you were running away from anything at all, but it sounded like that you were running towards immersing yourself in that experience of of what it's like to to live in a desolate place. Yeah. I mean, in your blog, you spoke about the desert being arid. Yeah. And when you think about an arid desert, you, you think about a place, you know, where you can literally be lost and alone. Yeah in today's society and i've mentioned this before in other podcasts uh, how we're so overly connected especially with social media Um, you're not running away from that but you're running towards a place where you can actually be with your thoughts in a place where like you said like life and death is is visceral yeah where life feels raw and real and you're alive you've probably never been more alive yeah yeah it's really true and like even now i feel myself craving the desert like that emptiness and that vastness and just being like this tiny speck in that vastness. Mm. Yeah. There's something about that that I feel just my heart yearns for that. Some of the best times in India were also in the field when I was just driving home and just looking out at nothing. Right? Just, I mean, I say nothing. I mean, there's always houses everywhere and there's people that are there, but it's just like, so vast yeah it must be a really grounding experience to be caught in the vastness and to realize that we are really small yeah and our problems are really small really tiny (laughs) really insignificant you did have to sort of come back and you said that was because of visa issues Mm. were there points where you were like i've got to leave here yeah or i'm done with this yeah i think there were points that i was definitely I i was ready to come home as i said i was burnt out I had this incredible pressure, everyone saying, because I was the, I was the first staff member, that like foreign staff member for this organisation. So I did all of their reporting, all of the proposal writing and everything for this organisation. And I just felt that it was time for me to leave and I felt like it was time for them to stand on their own feet almost. Mm. Which, I mean, you know, things go on you... Your ego gets in the way. Obviously, it was going to go on regardless. But it was definitely time for me to leave. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to talk about you leaving so much just yet, actually. Now I feel like I'm on the spot. Oh, well, yeah, you are on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) You've read my blog quite Yeah, I mean, Um, I've read your blog. More than I have recently. (laughs) So I can't even think of things at the moment. Well, actually, and I'm going to really encourage people to read your blog as well because I think you're a really great writer. And I think you mentioned to me before as well that you would get up in the morning and you would write in the morning. And there was periods of weeks where you wouldn't write anything. But it certainly felt like when reading your blog that enough time had passed for you to want to sit down and write about several things. And I think I was just really immersed in it. And I I read it for about four hours. (laughs) And um, you went through so much. And like I said, I recommend everyone to to read your your blog. Where do we find it? Um, So it's called myoinbedla.wordpress.com M-Y-O-I-N-B-E-D-L-A Bedla is the um, village that I was living in. Right, okay. Um, I'll, I'll put a link to it on the website as well for people that want to check it out. So you spoke about coming home just then. How did you feel coming home? I mean, Australia is so far away. Yeah. When you're home, you come home to life exactly how it was when you left driving is different like everything around you like I would come home and obviously in where I was living I was used to covering up 
and, you know, having a scarf over my head the whole time. And I came home and I'm like, what? I've got bare skin and feeling really insecure about that. Um, and I would never go out at night in India. Like I would, but you need to make sure you had plans to get home because there wasn't really public transport or anything like that to get home. And so when I came home, I was like, I, I didn't like leaving the house after dark <laughs> because that's just, you know, what I was used to. Um, and I would be driving along the street and my heart would be racing because I would be driving at 100k an hour, which you just don't drive in. Like I wasn't driving, like you'd probably be lucky to drive 60 in the villages because there's just so many obstacles. So to be driving 100k down a freeway and not having cars coming in and out and not having cows on the road or people on the road um and like people always say when you come back from a trip oh what was your best part what was the best your favorite bit yeah, that's kind of what i asked before <laughs> tell us your favorite bit <laughs> it's like well how do you summarize that like yeah. there's so many things yeah you know it's ideal for someone to sort of give us a story from start to finish but i also had a feeling that gosh we're not going to be able to capture everything <laughs> Because like it, it's almost like I would have to ask you. So, what was your favourite bit? <laughs> I mean, uh, I think you've definitely shared enough of your emotional stage and your spiritual experience for our audience to you know to sort of have grasped. Okay, that sounds like something I need to at least do someday. Yeah. Go to India and do something that's out of my comfort zone. Yeah, definitely. I think it's one of those incredible experiences that everyone needs to have. And it like it could be doesn't have to be India, but my advice would be def- definitely just to go with the process. <laughs> yeah. Don't try and fight things. Yeah, you can't fight anything in India if things are happening because then you just end up resenting things. Mm. And there's no point living in another country or having that experience if you just resent everything about you know the fact that there are no public toilets, that um, you have to shower out of a bucket. Or you have to sit on a squat, like use a squat toilet. All these kind of things. There's just no point getting fixated on those little things and rather just go with it. I was very lucky that, you know, food-wise, food was delicious and I had the right constitution, so I wasn't ever really sick. I think the one time that I got really sick and had stomach cramps, Dr. Arke's treatment for stomach cramps are opioid tablets. (laughs) So (laughs) he gives you these, like... Um, what he would call heroin <laughs> in like tablet form to calm down the stomach. Um, and that's the other thing is like when you are sick, trust the people that live there because they're the ones that deal with this all the mm. time. They, you know, don't get fixated on going to the doctor and only getting, you know, things that you would have at home. Mm. It's really important. I mean, there's been a few running themes between the story that you're telling and the other stories that we've told so far on this podcast and one of those is really trust because you've got no other option right yeah you're in a new environment where you've got no choice yeah exactly and you have to you just have to let go and and do that Mm. um and i i was as i said before i was very blessed because the people i worked with and my colleagues they were like family so i just i would trust them with my life Mm. um yeah it's probably time we had to ask you this. Like, it, I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me that there's another adventure in the works at some point. When, when is that? What's that look like? Where do you go? After? Where do I... And are you looking for a similar experience? So 
The next adventure I had after coming home was obviously starting a business here. And that's what I wanted to do. And I think now I recently went and saw a psychic. (laughs) Uh, And she said that I was, I had designed my life to live in the Northern Hemisphere, wherever that means. But she also said that she could see me owning a house in the Greek islands. So who knows? (laughs) But I do, I do. I think my next big trip will be to the States and to the desert again. Like I went to Uluru earlier this year and it's just... I really find that cool. Yeah. The desert's really cleansing. Yeah. You're so close to the earth. And then at night, like the millions of stars that you see out in the desert, because there's no sort of obstruction from smog or or city lights. It's just like, wow. So I think that'll be my next trip. There's actually a course I want to do in Georgia in the States. It's like an adult summer camp of all things jewelry, like setting stones and stuff like that. So my next big trip, I want to arrive in California and go across Arizona and New Mexico and like the desert and then Mm. end up in Georgia. Yeah. Very different, very different to India and to, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not called to do my therapy anymore because as I said, I feel like that career has been lived. Yeah. That ship sailed, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I suppose I say this every time we record, but it's really refreshing to speak to someone that knows, you know, what speaks to them, what calls them in life, where their values are and um, how to live the most authentic mm-hmm. life. And that's certainly like yourself. I've worked on it a lot. You know, I was kind of like the teenager that was reading self-development books and stuff like that, right? And um, reading Paulo Coelho and t- like The Alchemist and stuff when I was young. So like <laughs> I've done a lot of work on it. But yeah, and I feel like that's how you live authentically is learning what your values are Mm. and trying to live as in line with them as you can be. Yeah. Which is obviously not something that happens overnight Mm. and it's a constantly evolving thing. Yeah. I mean, you've given such, so many great pieces of advice um, throughout this recording. And um, I actually want to say a big thank you for taking the time and setting aside the time and, and the space in this beautiful place. Obviously the, the rain and the jackhammering have both stopped (laughs) Um, a lot of the people that I record with don't have a big social media presence. Uh, we've talked about your blog. Is there anywhere else where people can sort of follow what's happening with you? <laughs> I, I do have Instagram, but I don't really post much on it. So they're welcome to follow that, but I don't know if they'll get much out of it. Yeah. And I mean, one of the, the things that I encourage most in life is for people to get off the screen as much as possible. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say before we finish today's episode? I don't think so. No. Go live your life. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you were incredibly well prepared. And um, I just want to say a big thank you. But this is how I normally finish each episode. I'll give you a round of applause for um, for giving people out there something really incredible to listen to and to inspire them to go and and live their lives, I suppose, um, in a different way. So I guess on three, we can both... Do a little clap. <laughs> what do you think? Okay, sure. Oh, let's just do it. Why not? <laughs> Yay. Soon, one day there'll be an audience and there'll be a whole bunch of us <laughs> clapping. We'll be like, woohooing, popping the champagne corks out each recording. Until then, it's just you and me. All right. All right. One, two, three. Yay! Woo! <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. To find out more about any of our guests, 
and catch additional photos and content from this episode, find us on Instagram at louisdiaz.podcast. <laughs>